All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. Carter Thompson, your host, as always. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Another considerable gap in between episodes, which I apologize for. A lot of traveling that I do in the NFL offseason, so sometimes I go a couple weeks. In this case, I think it was like one and a half in between episodes. Like I've been trying to do two per week, but sometimes when I'm traveling, it's hard to even get one out per week. But I'm glad I'm able to get this one here as we have the NBA Finals in full swing. Two games into this one already with the Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors, the two final teams of this NBA season. So we'll dive fully into this matchup after two games that we saw in Golden State. A really fun finals matchup, I might say. We'll also talk about the NFL. The minicamp is rolling along. I've got my tiers contenders this week, or this episode, excuse me. We have my fringe playoff contenders, and I'll discuss more about what that means and some of the teams that I think fit in this category. So we'll get to that. We also got some big NFL contracts being signed as well, so we'll make sure we'll get to that. Stanley Cup, we got one of our two teams already decided for the Stanley Cup Finals, the Colorado Avalanche. We'll see where they stand as well and who they might face as their counterpart in the Stanley Cup Finals. Very excited. Should be a great episode. Thanks for tuning in once again. Let's get started here with the NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics, and the Golden State Warriors. We have the series now tied 1-1, to heading back to Boston after these two games in Golden State. Celtics with a huge win in Game 1. Warriors, an incredible third quarter that they had in Game 2 to kind of stamp that one. Kind of their season mantra of winning and having just really good third quarters coming out of halftime. Warriors did that in Game 2 here to tie the series up at one apiece. In Game 1, though, I mean, the Celtics, they were down, I believe, at one point by 15 points. Then they ran like what, a 17-0 run to start the fourth quarter. Just to start the fourth quarter, outscored Golden State 40-16 to in that game one fourth quarter. Won that one on the road, 120-108. to Like I said, then the Warriors had that incredible third quarter. Get that big win in game two, 107-88. to Series now heads to Boston, tied 1-1. I mean, this is going to be a finals of runs. And who can withstand the big scoring bursts from the other teams? And the subsequent scoring droughts that your own team has. I mean, look at this right here. It's pretty clear. Game one, Celtics went on a 48-18 to run at the end of the third quarter and most of all of the fourth quarter where they outscored them 40-16. to Game two then, you got the Warriors going on a 43-14 to run in most of that third quarter and then early into the fourth quarter to just kind of put this one away early. That's how we get to where we are right now at tied one apiece. So, I mean, let's start with the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry, been absolutely fantastic in these finals, been the best player in this series by far to me. 34 points in game one that he had. He had, remember, if you watched game one, he had 21 points in the first quarter. He had six threes in that first quarter alone. Still wasn't able to get it done. They weren't able to close it out with that Boston big fourth quarter. But then in game two, he had 29 points without having to play that fourth quarter. So Steph Curry been absolutely fantastic. But the problem is he hasn't had consistent help in these finals. Klay Thompson is struggling, which is a worry for the Warriors as he's only averaged 13 points per game in these first two games. He had 15 points 
in game one, only, I believe, 11 points in game two. And I think he was one for eight from beyond the three-point arc in game two as well. I mean, for the war, I mean, we'll talk about the Boston Celtics in a second, but for the Warriors to have a chance to win this series, this is going to be a very tight series. For the Warriors to have a chance to win games and to win this series, they need at least two of their three splash brothers. I believe Jordan Poole is now considered a splash brother. I'm not sure if that's beneficial from Stephen Clay, but the media has determined him to be the third splash brother at this point. They need two of these three to have a big impact. Steph, I think, is automatic. You can pencil him down as being obviously one of them that's going to have a big impact. He's going to be averaging close to 30 in this series, I think. Game two, two of those three Splash Brothers, it was Jordan Poole in that third quarter. I mean, he had five threes. He had 17 points for the game. He also had that buzzer beater half-court shot to end the third quarter, kind of just stamp it for the Warriors there. They didn't really have that. I mean, game one, I think he was held under eight points, under 10 points for sure, able to come up with 17 points in game two, help the Warriors hang on to that win. But for the Warriors, it'll be Steph. You can pencil him in, I think, if he averages between 30 and 35. And then the other guy between Clay or Jordan Poole needs at least 20 points with a couple more guys just helping out with the, with the three-point ball. Otto Porter Jr. has been nice. I believe he hit four threes in game one, maybe a couple threes in game two. They got Gary Payton back from injury with that broken elbow. Hopefully, Andre Iguodala can help. You can't expect a ton from Draymond Green in terms of offensive production. He's not going to get you more than like eight points. His value is all about the defense, all about leading the offensive break. He can pass really well. He'll help with the assists for sure, getting everybody involved. Andrew Wiggins as well, you can hope, can average around double-digit points as well. But for the Warriors to succeed, I think it's got to be Steph. No question he's going to be averaging 30 points. I don't think you have to worry about it. If he averages a little less, that's fine. I'm not saying like if he gets less than 30, it's a bad game for Steph. It's all about the impact. But I'm saying Steph averages around 30 to 35. You need Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole to have at least 20 that night to get scoring from this Golden State offense. You can't rely on Andrew Wiggins to score 20 points or get hot. He had 20 points in game one. I don't think you can rely on Andrew Wiggins to be your second leading scorer. You need Klay Thompson or Jordan Poole because they have that threat of the three ball when they get hot from three. That'll open up the lane for guys like Andrew Wiggins, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green to get some easy buckets when they need them. And then you can have Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole just opening up the court from beyond the arc. That's how I think the the Warriors are going to be able to succeed, but the the it hasn't been shown consistently yet. Like I said, Clay Thompson is really struggling right now, and Jordan Poole is inconsistent. This is his first finals. He hasn't been to six five finals like Steph and Clay and Draymond and, and the rest of these guys. So we'll see how that works out for the Golden State. The Celtics I think it's a little bit easier for them in terms of how they win these games. For the Warriors right there, it's kind of one, one-sided in my opinion. Steph has to go off for 30, and then you need 20-plus from either Clay or Jordan Poole. Not 20 combined. You definitely need more than that. But you need one of these guys to be a consistent second threat. So then it opens up the lane for Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter, Gary Payton, those guys like that. For the Celtics, I think it's a little bit easier. I mean, they were able to knock down 21 threes 
in game one, and they had four guys over 18 points, and one of them wasn't Jason Tatum, their best player. Then you'll see the difference in game two. So, I mean, game one, you had Al Horford leading the way with 26 points. He was six of eight from beyond the three-point line. Jalen Brown, 24 points. He had big fourth quarter after bucket after bucket in the fourth quarter for Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart had 18 points, hitting a bunch of threes. Derek White, backup point guard for the Celtics, had 21 points off the bench. He was 5 of 8 from 3. And this is the in game 1, Jason Tatum only had 12 points but had 13 assists. 3 of 17 shooting. If Steph goes 3 of 17, the Warriors have absolutely no shot which is why I think the Celtics are the better team in this finals. When you have your best player going 12.3 of 17 shooting and you're still able to win by double digits with guys like this putting up big numbers, it's pretty impressive. And now you look at game two, Jason Tatum, 28 points, but had a plus minus of 36. That's the worst of his career. You got guys like Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, I'm sorry, Robert Williams, Those are your three other starters outside of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Horford, Smart, Williams, they each had two points apiece. Two points between three starters right there. I don't think that happens, that'll happen consistently in this series. But that's what it took from the Warriors' defense to get this win. Jason Tatum, 28 points. Jalen Brown, 17 points. The big difference in this one, other than those three starters only having two points each in this one, Boston Celtics had 18 turnovers compared to the Warriors' 12. So in my opinion, I don't think we'll see that from the Celtics again, where you have three starters combined for six points. The Celtics are deeper in terms of scoring than the Warriors are. And more often than not, they play a better collective defense than the Warriors as well. I mean, they had all five starters on their team, the Celtics. They got at least one first-team all-defensive vote. All five starters got at least one vote for the all-defensive team. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I already said what I think the Warriors need to win. And like I just said, Jason Tatum in Game 1 had 12 points on 3 of 17 shooting. If Steph Curry has a night like that, the way that Klay Thompson's playing, the inconsistency from Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins isn't a guy that's going to go off for 40 points in this offense. He's like a fourth option on this team. He's not going to get the shot attempts to go off for 40 points. Jason Tatum goes for 12 points, 3 of 17 shooting, and the Celtics win. I think if that happens for Steph Curry and Clay, in the way that Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole are playing, I think there's not a shot that they have at winning any game or this series. And that's what, to me, just kind of separates the Celtics from the Warriors is you can afford your top 10, your top 15 player to have an off-shooting night like that, where he has only 12 points. I don't think the Warriors can afford if Steph Curry, who's a top-five player, a top-ten player in the NBA right now, if he has less than 15 points or that poor of a shooting night, I don't think the Warriors are able to survive it. Which is why, I mean, the Celtics, like I just said, three starters that had six points combined in Game 2, where Horford had 26 himself in Game 1. Marcus Smart had 18 himself. I think if Horford scores 15 points, if Marcus Smart scores 15 points, Robert Williams scores maybe like 8 points or something like that. This is a totally different ball game. And then the Celtics are right back in it for Game 2, even with Steph going off for 30 points in three quarters or something like that. And you got Jordan Poole having a big 
like 15 point quarter in the third quarter. That's what separates between the Warriors and the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics have so many more ways to win this series. Tatum could go off for 40 plus points in one game and then you could have <laughs> you could have outputs of 2 points from Al Horford and 5 points from Smart and 5 points from Robert Williams. You can afford it if Jason Tatum goes off for 40. Jalen Brown, Al Horford, we can see both of them putting up 25 points a game, and Jason Tatum with a pedestrian 15 to 18. We've already seen him score 12, and they win. There's another way. Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, Derek White, these guys get hot from beyond the three-point line. There's another way this team. They just have more depth on this team with the Boston Celtics. You don't see a guy like Otto Porter Jr. He's not going to be able to. He's not going to score 20 points coming off the bench. Gary Payton's not going to score 15-plus points off the bench. He might be good for, like, max of eight. Andre Iguodala isn't raining down threes anymore. I mean, he's actually missing games right now. Celtics have much better. I mean, Grant Williams for the Celtics is another. Oh, I already did mention him. But the Warriors just don't have this kind of scoring depth that I think the Boston Celtics do. The Warriors scoring is going to come from Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, in Jordan Poole. And then Andrew Wiggins might be able to contribute with some slashing, maybe knocking down one or two threes, maybe around 15 points, I think, is what Andrew Wiggins is going to be averaging. But the majority of the scoring for the Golden State Warriors is coming from Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, and Klay Thompson. Steph Curry is the only one that is consistent right now. He's got 30 points per game. Only one that's that's been consistent for the Warriors. Klay Thompson is struggling. If Clay Thompson starts to find a shooting stroke, I think that opens up a lot of stuff. But, I mean, you look at the pictures from these first two games of the final. Steph Curry is trying to dribble through four guys in the lane just to find someone to get open and hopefully knock down a shot. He is doing everything he can. And right now he's been very impressive, making some tough buckets near the basket in the paint. But I think it's just too much that the Warriors have to try and get specific things whereas the Celtics a multitude of things could happen and they can still win like we saw in game one I think game one is very clearly shows how the Celtics can win this in in so many ways where Jason Tatum doesn't have to be the number one guy or I mean Jason Tatum is the number one guy but he doesn't have to he doesn't have to at minimum score 25 points so in my opinion, I could see this being a Boston Celtics winning the NBA Finals in six games. That's what I think it's going to be. They got the one-to-one split in Golden State. Unless Klay Thompson starts to get hot, which I don't know if, if he what, what his struggles are, if it's injury-related or what it is. But I think Boston got their one-to-one split. I could see them easily winning two games in Boston, going back to Golden State up 3-1. Golden State wins Game 5 in Golden State, and then this ends in Boston in Game 6. That's how I, I kind of see this going. I don't, I'm don't, i not sure if Boston has lost back-to-back games this postseason yet either, so I could see them rebounding in a big way. In Game 3 in Boston, a lot of those role players are going to show up. Derek White, I think, is going to show up. Grant Williams has been a big factor this entire postseason, and then you'll get guys like Marcus Smart, and Al Horford returning more to normal, not scoring just two points apiece, those guys will be more back up into the double digits around 10 to 15 as well. So I see this going as 
Boston Celtics winning the NBA Finals in six games. That's my thinking after watching the first two games of the NBA Finals. I don't know. They've been very impressive to me. I mean, Boston, they handled Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Nets, able to take down Giannis and the Bucks in round two. Even without Chris Middleton, that is still a very impressive feat for the Boston Celtics. Then going to game seven with the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, all those guys, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo. Boston looks like the best team in basketball this year, and, and which is incredible to say considering how their season started. But we'll see. I believe game three, if I check my – I believe game three is tomorrow. Tomorrow is Wednesday the 8th. So game three tomorrow, we'll see. But I would put uh, a lot of faith in the Boston Celtics rebounding in that one. They haven't lost back-to-back games this entire postseason, I believe. So I would see Boston winning game three tomorrow night, I believe. All right. That's what I have. We have Boston-Golden State tied up at one apiece. It's a great series to watch. I mean, this is fun. And and the cool thing is, too, if you watched game one, the incredible fourth-quarter shot-making that we had Mm -hmm. at one point where the Celtics were just hanging tough with – I mean, actually, I believe it was in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, it was all Celtics. But in the third quarter, it was incredible shot-making back and forth. And the Celtics were able to survive the Golden State Warriors, like – third quarter avalanche that seems to come every game just the shot making that has been happening in this series is incredibly fun to watch it's it's so much such good basketball playing being played by both sides and really good coaching as well so this is going to be a fun series I think it'll go six possibly seven as well but I think Boston might be able to get it done in six games all right NFL mini camp is underway mini camp just got it started this week we've got a lot of big names reporting. Some guys holding out. I believe DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, guys looking for new contracts holding out in terms of their mini camps with Seattle and San Francisco. You got guys Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, after winning Capital One's The Match over Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. They're showing up to mini camp, getting the season started, rolling along now as we get towards July and we get towards training camp. I can't wait for all this to get going. If you remember my last episode, there are four tiers that I have in terms of ranking the teams this upcoming season. I had the non-playoff contenders, I have fringe playoff contenders, strong playoff contenders, and then I have championship contenders. Quick reminder of the non-playoff contender teams. These are teams that I don't think will be competing for the playoffs this year. They're going to be near the top of the draft order come next offseason. I believe I had, was it nine? I'll, I'll rattle them off really quick. It was Texans, Bears, Panthers, Seahawks, Falcons, Jaguars, Giants, Jets, and Lions. Yes, yeah, so that's nine teams that I don't see being playoff contenders this season. A couple of them are maybe a season away. I like what the Detroit Lions are doing. I like what the New York Jets are doing. And I like what the Jacksonville Jaguars have done in terms of moving on from Urban Meyer, getting some help for... Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne has looked very exciting in terms of the offseason work that he's been doing. He's going to be a monster in fantasy football. We'll get to fantasy football later. But either way, these are the nine teams that I don't see as playoff contenders this year. Here is my largest group of teams in the fringe playoff contenders category. This is what fringe playoff contenders mean. You'll see, I believe I have 
14 teams in this category, which means some of them will make the playoffs. But what I mean by fringe is it means you're a lot of these teams are likely on the outside of the playoffs looking in as the season winds down, but they have a chance to get in still during one of the last weeks of the season. They aren't eliminated before like week 12 or anything like that. These are teams that are in the playoff hunt until week 16. We're talking about all the big matchups. If this happens, they need this to happen. These are teams that I think will still be in that conversation. Some of them are ranked a little bit higher because I think they possibly, they might even have a chance. Actually, a couple of these teams are fringe playoff contenders, but a couple of them are going to be divisional winners. I just don't know which ones are going to be the divisional winners. That's maybe a tight race between two teams in the divisional race. They just have a chance to sneak in. Some of them are just on the cusp of being strong playoff contenders. I'm just not comfortable. Strong playoff contenders, to me, means, yes, I think you're making the playoffs, no question this year. Fringe playoff contenders, you have a chance to make the playoffs. Maybe you can sneak in. That's kind of what I'm getting at when it comes to fringe playoff contenders. I'll rattle through my 14 teams. They're not in any like specific order, but I've kind of the first couple that you hear are the ones that I think are stronger than the fringe playoff contenders at the bottom. So I'll go through all 14. We got the Denver Broncos, Las Vegas Raiders, Indianapolis Colts, Tennessee Titans, Minnesota Vikings, Miami Dolphins, Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Arizona Cardinals, New Orleans Saints, New England Patriots, Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns, and the Washington Commanders. These are my 14 teams that are in my fringe playoff contenders category. We'll start near the top. These first four, Denver Broncos, Las Vegas Raiders, Indianapolis Colts, Tennessee Titans. So, I mean, with Colts and Titans right there, you already heard me say the Texans and who's the other team in in their division that I'm – oh, the Jaguars – those two teams are already in my non-playoff contenders category. So I've got all of a sudden now we're at fringe playoff contenders here, and I've got Colts and Titans not going to be in my strong playoff contenders and not going to be in my championship contenders. One of these two teams is going to make the playoffs still. I'm not confident, though, in either of them to determine which one I think is going to either be the division winner. But all I'm saying Mm -hmm. is whichever one of these two teams between the Colts and the Titans is the division winner, The other one will not make the playoffs because, first of all, the AFC is completely loaded with great teams this year. So I think it's going to be incredibly tough. They have the benefit of playing in a weaker division. So both teams could have two wins or four wins just by playing the Jaguars and Texans twice. So that could help them. But I don't have a lot of faith in either of these two teams. That's why they're in the fringe playoff contenders. One of them will make the playoffs between Colts and Titans, but the one that doesn't win the division, I don't think will win or will get into the playoffs at all. And then I got Denver Broncos and Las Vegas Raiders. These two are at the top of my fringe playoff contenders teams. I think it's almost virtually impossible for all four teams in the AFC West to make the playoffs. I mean, because they have to, each team has to battle each other twice. And I don't, I don't think I see a team just absolutely sweeping this division. I don't think Kansas City even can sweep this division. So this is going to be week in and week out for the Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, and Chiefs. These are going to be big-time matchups. And I think three of them get in. I think it's Chiefs, Chargers, and then either Broncos or Raiders. 
I love what the Raiders did this offseason, bringing in Devontae Adams. You bring in a guy like Chandler Jones. These are big-time pieces. They have a new head coach in Josh McDaniels. It's not his first time as a head coach, though, so maybe he can learn from that. Raiders were a playoff team a year ago as well, even with all those distractions that they had. John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, I believe Damon Arnett. They also fired their GM at the end of the season. So, I mean, the Raiders are in a good spot, but the Broncos bring in a potential, likely, Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson. And this guy does not lose. This guy gets into the playoffs. He finds a way to make it work. Now, he's got some young weapons in Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, guys like that, Javante Williams at running back. So I think it's going to be between the Broncos and the Raiders. One of these two teams is going to get that final wild card spot. I don't think, I just don't see it possible that all four teams from the AFC West can get into the wild card. There's other teams that I think have a chance of sneaking into that wild card, like the Miami Dolphins. I mean, the Tennessee Titans or the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think one of them will get into that wild card if they don't win their division. But like I said, they have a chance because of how weak their division is with the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Colts will have a little bit of an easier schedule because they didn't win the division last year. I mean, the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed. They're going to have a tough schedule this year. Indianapolis Colts also upgraded at quarterback with Matt Ryan as well. So, I mean, just the fight that the AFC West is going to have to go through by battling each other out week in and week out with how good their division is, is going to be the detriment to one of these teams. That's why I've got the Broncos and the Raiders in this fringe playoff contender spot. Then you go down a little bit. I already mentioned the Dolphins a little bit. I think they'll be right there with either the Colts or the Titans and then on the cusp of the Raiders and Broncos. We'll see, I think, a big jump from Tua Tagovailoa this year with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. He's got an offensive-minded coach in Mike McDaniel who has just been raved about by everybody in the NFL all around the league, just how smart this guy is and just the ways that he'll make this offense, I think, a little bit easier. And I think we'll see a big jump from Tua Tagovailoa. I'm hoping for it because otherwise I'm gonna start. you're going to start hearing people call for his head in terms of that he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. So I think the Dolphins are going to be right there with the Colts, Titans, and then probably maybe the Raiders and Broncos as well if Tua Tagovailoa makes that jump. Next two, I mean, I've got the Cowboys and Eagles. This one is similar to me as uh, the Colts and Titans, as in whoever wins the NFC East division, the other one won't make the playoffs. Right now I kind of like the Eagles a little bit better than the Cowboys. The Eagles added this offseason where the Cowboys lost. A lot of big pieces. Randy Gregory, Amari Cooper, their number one wide receiver. The Eagles added in a number one wide receiver in A.J. Brown to go along with Devontae Smith. You've got Jalen Hurts, I think, taking a big step forward. And if he doesn't, or another step forward, and if he doesn't, are people going to be calling for his head as well in terms of he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL? Then you got teams like, I think, the Minnesota Vikings, Arizona Cardinals, and New Orleans Saints. One of these three teams is going to be fighting for, I believe, that last wild card spot in the NFC. You got like the Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Rams, the San Francisco 49ers. Then, like I said, you got Cowboys and Eagles going for that NFC East. I think you'll see between the Vikings, Cardinals, and Saints, 
one of those three teams is not going to make the playoffs, or I mean two of those three teams aren't going to make the playoffs, I think you're going to see one from that group of Cardinals, Saints, and Minnesota Vikings maybe sneak into that five or six spot. I don't see them competing for their respective division titles. Like the Vikings, I think that one's owned by the Packers right now, as long as Aaron Rodgers is still there. And, of course, this all of these encompass health purposes. As soon as, like, a number, like, if Tom Brady goes down with injury, of course the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not going to be great. Same thing with if Russell Wilson goes down or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. All of this is encompassing good health for every team. But I think between the Vikings, Cardinals, and Saints, I think you'll just see one of those teams make it. I like the Vikings adding an offensive-minded coach with all of this skill that they have in Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, guys like that. They don't necessarily have a number one tight end. But Justin Jefferson, I think, is in for a monster year. Kirk Cousins, we'll see what his limitations allow for in terms of a Justin Jefferson big year. But I could see them having a big statistical year on the offense with that new offensive-minded coach. And then we'll see with Arizona. I mean, they're missing DeAndre Hopkins for the first, what, eight weeks. That could be a huge loss in terms of, I mean, they're in a tough division as well. They got the Super Bowl champ Rams. The 49ers just went to the NFC Championship game. Seattle Seahawks aren't going to be necessarily contenders, but I think Pete Carroll is good for a sneaky win every now and then. So the Cardinals, I could see, I mean, especially the way that they ended last season, in terms of the disappointment that they have and the Kyler Murray drama that was a little bit this offseason in terms of wanting a new contract could be a little bit of a distraction going into the year. So we'll see with the Cardinals. They're going to have an uphill climb, I think, into making the playoffs. And the Saints, it all depends on what kind of Jameis. I mean, he doesn't have Sean Payton as his head coach anymore. So I think that's a big loss for the Saints as well. But he's got weapons now. They've got Michael Thomas coming back. Chris Olave, they just drafted out of Ohio State, who is going to be a monster, I think. Jarvis Landry, that is a very formidable three-wide receiver group right there. And then you got Elvin Kamara, Mark Ingram coming out of the backfield still. Very, I mean, they did lose a big-time piece on the offensive line, but their defense is still very good. They got Dennis Allen at head coach now, who was the defensive coordinator. They're going to be fighting on their way back in too, but it, I think that all depends on what kind of performance you get from Jameis Winston if it's the guy that throws 30 touchdowns and 30 picks you're not going to be making the postseason but if he can throw 25 touchdowns and 12 to 15 interceptions then they'll be there they'll be there at the end of the season then these next four teams are ones that I think that are still going to be competing for the playoffs throughout the season they're very well coached teams they're pretty good teams but it's just the end I don't know if they have enough talent to beat some of these teams that I just mentioned. It was the Patriots, Steelers, Browns, and Washington Commanders. I mean, Browns will just get them out of the way. I don't think they're going to have Deshaun Watson this year. I really hope they don't. But anyways, that's that's why the Browns are still here. They, they do have a very talented roster, and if Deshaun Watson does play somehow, then this is a different conversation. But I just don't uh, think they will, which makes me put them at the bottom of this tier. Patriots and Steelers. Young quarterbacks, not a ton. I mean, the Steelers have some talent on their, in terms of weapons with Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Najee Harris. But I, like I said, it's a rookie quarterback. This, but this is the thing: they could still. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record. They could still go nine and eight in that loaded AFC and not make the playoffs. A team with ten wins 
in how loaded that AFC is could not make the playoffs possibly. I would not be surprised. So that's why I've got the Steelers down here with a rookie quarterback as well. The Washington Commanders, I don't think they're better than the Saints, Cardinals, and Vikings, who I said are going to be fighting for one of the last playoff spots. I mean, Carson Wentz was close to bringing the Colts last year. The reason I've got them here is is you could see them still sneaking into the playoffs. That's what puts them on this fringe playoff contenders list in terms of they are going to have a very good defense. they got Chase Young, who's a top-two pick coming back, who is a difference maker coming off the edge. Ron Rivera is a very respected coach, a very good coach, and he's going to coach this team, and they're going to be in contention for that NFC East title all the way up until the end, I think. It just depends. This is a this is another version of the Jameis Winston with Carson Wentz. I mean, we saw him collapse, just a brutal collapse at the end of last year. If he doesn't do that, hey, maybe they can steal this division from the Cowboys and Eagles. I don't know. That's why they're in this that's why they're in this category and not the not contending for the playoffs. Those other teams I just don't see even having a chance. I, I see a path for the Washington Commanders to make the playoffs. And then the Patriots with Mac Jones. I just don't see enough weapons on offense. We also don't know who's calling plays. Is Bill Belichick going to be calling plays on offense? That's going to be very exciting to see if he is calling plays on offense. But I just don't see enough weapons for Mac Jones and the Patriots to take a step up. And I see too many teams in the AFC that were vastly improved. I mean, the Steelers and Patriots made the playoffs last year. I see those two teams dropping out for a team like the Denver Broncos, the Indianapolis Colts, maybe the Miami Dolphins, something like that. But I just see too many teams getting much, much better, and these teams either staying the same or maybe even getting slightly worse. So these are my are my 14 teams in my fringe playoff contenders category, which means in my strong playoff contenders category, I have four teams in that, and I have five teams in my championship contenders category. So this is obviously my largest group, and we'll get to my strong playoff contenders and championship contenders teams in my next two episodes for sure. But Run through them really quick again. The 14 teams in the fringe playoff contenders category. Denver Broncos, Las Vegas Raiders, Indianapolis Colts, Tennessee Titans, Minnesota Vikings, Miami Dolphins, Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Arizona Cardinals, New Orleans Saints, New England Patriots, Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns, and the Washington Commanders. All right. I like this tiers thing. gives you some flexibility. You don't have to rank them 1 through 32 I mean, I see teams, like I said, I see teams like Colts and Titans as very similar, Cowboys and Eagles, and then I've got like Vikings, Cardinals, and Saints, all teams that I think are going to be competing for that same, kind of that same last one or two playoff spots. I like this tiers thing instead of a power rankings. All right. Oh, last thing here on the NFL as well. Aaron Donald just signed a new contract that guarantees him, I believe, another $40 million over his remaining three-year contract that keeps him with the Rams through 2024. I mean, now this makes him the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL. I believe he's making $31.7 million annually coming off of that Super Bowl run this past season. This was literally just a raise for Aaron Donald. No restructure, no extension. I mean, there's some restructure in, in how they make it fit in the cap or whatever. There's no extension 
There's no pay cut. Obviously, this is just a raise or anything like that. It's just added money onto his existing contract, which is, one, very well-deserved. Aaron Donald is going to go down as one of the top five, top three play, defensive players of all time in the game of football. He's going to be up there with the names like Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White. He's going to be up there with those guys' names in terms of the Deion Sanders, one of the best three top five defensive players of all time. That's the kind of player Aaron Donald is. I mean, in his first eight seasons, he's got the Super Bowl trophy now. He's got the Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's won three Defensive Player of the Years. He's got seven first-team All-Pros in eight seasons as a pro. So, I mean, this, this makes sense. But what this also, this contract shows, is that he was very close to retiring this offseason. He needed a lot of incentive to come back and run it back, as the Rams have been saying, and run it back with the Rams to go and win another Super Bowl. He was very close. He's, he, he thought he didn't need anything. He didn't need to prove anything more on the football field, which he doesn't. But now he's got this more money. He's the, the highest non-paid quarterback in NFL history, $31.7 million annually. He still loves to play football, but, I mean, he's got, he's got I believe, at least one kid. So he was very close to retiring, and this money kind of shows that, that they needed to convince him, hey, come back and run it back with us for, for one more year. So congratulations to Aaron Donald. I mean, if there's anyone that deserves to be the highest non-paid quarterback in the NFL, it's definitely this guy, and he now has that with the Los Angeles Rams. All right, final thought on this episode of the final final podcast thanks for tuning in as always and thanks for sticking with me until this point we have the liv golf league this is a new golf league it's a rival it's rivaling the pga i mean this one it is interesting it's saudi arabia funded and now it's trying to poach some big names from the pga and they've already done it this is the one that had phil mickelson kind of like outcast from golf for like a year now but now you got guys like Dustin Johnson. He just announced that he's resigned from the PGA and has joined the LIV Golf League. And the reason this has such, this is so questionable, is the morality that comes into play and that's being brought up as Saudi Arabia is funding Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia billionaires, excuse me, are funding this, and and the horrible track record of human rights violations. That obviously are brought up. That happens in Saudi Arabia all the time in the recent murder of a Washington Post journalist. And then you still have these are reasonable questions to ask these guys like Dustin Johnson. I mean, you got Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Kevin Na, Louis Oosthuizen. These are just among some of the notable names that are joining this league and leaving the PGA. And, and questions are being asked to them like, how do you feel? about this league when it's funded by these guys who have such morality and just have a morality questions excuse me and have such a horrible track record with with human rights in terms of what's going on in the country and that's why i mean you see guys i believe dustin johnson said at one point he's like i have no intention of leaving the pga and then a couple months later here we are where he's resigning from the pga and he'll get more money for appearing in tournaments that are run by the LIV is very interesting to see. Dustin Johnson, just another one of the big names to have recently joined. Phil Mickelson, like I said, has as well. I mean, these guys are still eligible to play in major tournaments like the U.S. Open, 
possibly the Masters, the Open Championship as well, as they have exemptions. Like if you've won the U.S. Open Championship, you are guaranteed a spot in the in the initial field for at least 10 years. And still, that doesn't have any effect you joining the PGA or the LIV. So they're still going to be playing in some Masters tournaments, but now they're out of PGA. They can no longer play in the Ryder Cup matches as well. I mean... It's an interesting uh, decision that a lot of these guys have to make and one that, that that's tough for them. I don't know if, if the PGA is worried about losing more big names or how the morality of it comes in for these guys making this decision, but they've made it, and now they have to live with it in terms of, of playing for this LIV golf, which is funded by Saudi billionaires and, and the horrible and track record that they have with the human rights is something that these guys are going to have to live with when they play in this new tournament which is interesting i mean you've got dustin johnson who was who probably still is a top five top 10 player phil mickelson of course one of the most popular golfers of all time joining this league very interesting to see and we'll see if like maybe more guys are going to be joining this league like this but uh some notable names joining it right now they're still eligible to play in uh, like major tournaments but we'll see how they'll be welcomed to something like that all right but also i mean in in golf news the reason this is is brought up is the u.s open is within i think it's in a couple of weeks maybe near the end of june middle of june maybe in two weeks i think the u.s open is being played so some of these guys will still be there i believe dustin johnson phil mickelson the u.s open said you've been invited to come play still as you have exemptions and you are masters or you are US Open champions as well. But speaking of the US Open, Tiger Woods will be skipping the US Open as he's going to rest and recover for the Open Championship which is in St Andrews later this summer, I think in late July, and which is one that he likes to play. So Tiger is going to be skipping one major tournament to try and make another. And then all right, Final, final thought on this episode of the final, final podcast, the Stanley Cup Finals. We have one of our two teams already booking their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals. That is the Colorado Avalanche advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals as they await their opponent between the New York Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They sweep the Edmonton Oilers, the Colorado Avalanche do. I mean, they are just the sixth team in the last 20 seasons to sweep a conference final series. Very impressive stuff. Guys like Nathan McKinnon and the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, they've had terrific goaltending with that, with two goaltenders between injuries and, and guys missing some of those games. So the Colorado Avalanche moving on to the Stanley Cup Finals. This is their first appearance in over 20 years for the Avs as well. So very impressive. Now, I mean, the question is, who would they rather face between the Lightning or Rangers? You've got the Tampa Bay Lightning. They were recently down 2-0 to the New York Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now they're down 2-1, but the thing is the Tampa Bay Lightning, very resilient team. They are also the back-to-back champions, Stanley Cup Finals champions. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to face a team that won if they come back from some of these resilient uh, deficits that they've faced in their series. All of a sudden, now you've got the back-to-back champs in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's gonna be it's gonna be short rest for whoever comes into this one, so they'll be coming in hot off of a big victory. While you'll be kind of a sitting down 
you'll be cool. You might be you might have some rust coming into the Stanley Cup Finals as well. I've, if I were the Colorado Avalanche, I don't think I'd want to see the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup Finals. That's just me personally. You got back-to-back champs. Also, they've shown how resilient they can be coming back if they win over the New York Rangers, coming back from a 2-0 deficit to start it off right away. Should be really fun, though, but congratulations congratulations, excuse me, to the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche making it to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time in over 20 years. Should be a... Re- I mean, that was the series against the Edmonton Oilers. Somehow they swept them 4-0. That was still an incredible series. Did not feel like... It was a sweep. You see some NBA final or you see some NBA playoff series where it's a 4-0 sweep and you're like, oh, none of these were close. This this was obviously unmatched teams in this one. Oilers and Avalanche, even though the Avalanche swept them 4-0, that did not feel like that kind of series. A lot of fun to watch for sure. All right. That is all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with me after that considerable break in between episodes next episode we'll continue to talk about the warriors and the celtics game three on tuesday hopefully we'll get a podcast by friday to talk about game three as well we'll continue with our nfl news we'll continue with our nfl tiers as well as we'll get to the strong playoff contenders and we'll see what keeps coming up as we have mini camp rolling along we still have some big names still on the free agency market as well like odell beckham jr julio jones Ndamukong Sue, guys like this that we are waiting to see who they're going to play for next season. So we'll get all to all that in our next podcast episode. Maybe we'll have a team to face the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup Finals as well by then. But all right, that's all I have for you. Thanks for tuning in once again. As always, stay safe out there, and you are listening to The Final Final. <laughs>